Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about, um, uh, really, the great white throne judgment. I'm going to look at the timeline here. I'm going to show you the timeline we've been looking at. And then we're, we've been taking, like, chunk of time at a time and talking about it. So let's take a look at our timeline real quick, just to kind of put this in perspective. So we have, like, the Old Testament, and then Jesus came, right, died on the cross, lived with his disciples. The disciples say, when's the end of time? When the disciples asked that question right here, they were talking about when, you know, when does this start, the millennial kingdom, okay? So, but the disciples didn't know that there was going to be this thing called the church age, which is 2,000 plus years now and going. The church is what we're doing now. We're not in the Old Testament. No one brought a lamb to sacrifice today. We don't have a temple. We don't have priests, right? So we're in a different age, a different time period. Uh, Christians are gone. They're after the church. Christ uh, come, comes down uh, into the sky to bring believers up with him. And then the earth goes through a seven-year tribulation period. We spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time talking about that because that's always the exciting part. But the Christians are gone, right? We're, go- we're not part of this. And then Christ comes back. The second coming of Christ comes back, literally boots on the ground, and it's the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Millennial for a thousand. Uh, oh, Pastor, are you sure it's a thousand years? Well, six times in the New Testament, the Bible says it's a thousand years. And I think if God said it's a thousand years, I can go along with it being a thousand years. But, uh, and, and literally, Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign um, here. Believers, okay, all the Christians from here back are ruling and reigning with him as a, as a series really of rewards, you know, to whom... Uh, much is given, much is required. Those that are faithful in little things will make you rule over much. That's what he's talking about, all right? The people that just show up for church on Sunday and want nothing to do with any responsibility, no part of service, they're bored with their Christian faith. I'm just going to tell you right now, for those thousand years, you're not going to be with responsibility that Jesus gave you. Because he said, if you're not faithful and you're not involved as a Christian before then I'm not putting you in any position of authority during the millennial reign. So if you're bored with Christianity now, if Christianity for you is you have to show up for Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, I'm just telling you right here, for this thousand years, it's going to be pretty boring for you. You're going to be sitting in the back there. Well, how come I'm not in charge of a province for this area? Because you weren't faithful, you weren't involved back then. Well, I'm going to have you do that now. So it's, it's a matter of rewards, okay? But uh, at the end of this time, at the end of this time, the end of the thousand-year reign, uh, is what we're going to talk about what happens at that time. And we'll spend a couple weeks talking about what happens right there. We started to touch on it just a little bit. But <coughs> today, we're going to look at really the final judgment or, or what, what the Bible refers to as the great white throne judgment, okay? So we're right here at the end of this millennial reign. Boom, boop. And there's going to be the great white throne judgment. Take your Bible. If you've got your Bible, let's get going here today. Revelation chapter 20. Uh, we'll pick up here in this passage. I'll read a few of the verses, and we'll talk about it. I want this to be a practical study. Verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, 
and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Let me, let me pause on that just for a moment, because I was thinking about this too the other day too. The, go back to the timeline. Can we just pop back there real quick? The, this reign of a thousand years, you know what, you know what I, how I kind of looked at this? And I want you to think about this for just a moment. Okay, we just went through the tribulation, literally hell on earth, God's, God's cleaning slate, okay? The millennial kingdom, the millennial reign is really like almost like probably one of the most gracious things that, that God has ever done for mankind. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more and just kind of review on that a little bit more. But, but Jesus is there in the millennial kingdom. He's, and we talked about this last week. Literally reigning for a thousand years. You could see his nail prints. You can talk to him. He'll be there. You don't have to trust him by faith. You can see him with your eyes. He will literally be ruling and reigning. Sin won't go unchecked. There will be swift justice. It'll be an unprecedented time of peace. The world literally will be like the Garden of Eden. Nothing's ever been like it before. Peace will reign. Justice will be there. <laughs> there's no attorneys. Um, there's no government outside of Jesus himself. Right? So we don't have to like be voting, you know, red or blue or whatever. The curse is lifted. Everyone's in perfect health. There's no need for sleep. How about this? There's no vaccines, right? And, and the earth is filled with believers right there at the beginning. Now, the believers that are alive, Christians that are alive here, the Christians that are alive here in the tribulation, they're the ones that go into the millennial kingdom. The, the believers from beforehand come back down and rule and reign with Christ, okay? So at the beginning of the millennial the kingdom, the beginning of it, everyone there is a believer, okay? The beginning of it. But it's interesting to think about that. They, they still have their natural bodies. Uh, they're not glorified bodies. They're, they're, um, they're saved, but they don't have a new nature, which is kind of an interesting thing, almost like the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit's not indwelling them, okay? Uh, they're going to have, they're going to marry and have children, their children also need to trust Christ on their own. It's still by, by grace are you saved through faith. That never changes. The difference is they'll be able to see Jesus right there. They can talk to Jesus. They can see the nail prints. So they're looking, they're looking not like we do through faith, going, well, I believe you're really the Savior. They're going to see it. And yet what's interesting at the end here, what we know, the, the thousand-year reign, is that there's still a lot of people that won't accept Christ as Savior. That, to me, guys, just baffles my mind. As a pastor, can you explain that to me? No, I can't. <laughs> I don't get how Jesus could be right there ruling with this book, right there in your presence. Everyone's a believer. You know, your mom and dad, everyone's a believer. You're the, you're the children, then we have grandchildren, and there's going to be people that are going to reject Christ. I don't understand that except for the sheer rebellion of man and sheer pride of man. And it's still simple faith, but you can actually see it. Satan's not even tempting you because Satan's locked up. He's, he's in the, uh, uh, the pit right? He's locked up. So it's not like you can say, well, Satan made me do it. No, you did this on your own. God says, fine, I'll get rid of the temptation. I'll, I'll get rid of that. And at the end of the kingdom age, though, which we'll talk about a little bit here, God does let Satan free for a little bit of period of time. Let's look at it. Chapter 20, verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Look at verse 8, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, pause on that, that's not the battle of Gog and Magog. The term here, Gog and Magog, is just referring to people that oppose God, okay? So there's people that are going to oppose God, so let's read it that way. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, uh, which are the people that, that, that oppose God, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. 
Are you telling me? Are you telling me that, go back to our map, our, our timeline, are you telling me that at the end of this thousand-year reign, there's enough people here that God explains it, describes how many people as the sands of the sea? Whoa! There's a lot of people that are rebelling it, and Satan goes out, and he says, I'm going to here to pick up the people. Uh, uh, God lets Satan out of the pit for a little bit and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather these people together, and we're going to have uh, an, another challenge, so to speak, against the king of kings. It's interesting, though. Can, let's, let's sit on that for a minute. Let's press down on that. Satan's been, been, been in the bottomless pit there. He's been in the lake of fire, <coughs> excuse me, and, and he's been there for a thousand years, 999 years and however many days, right? He doesn't, he's not up here on earth, right? Satan's not omniscient, doesn't know everything, right? So he's been out of communication for a thousand years, right? He comes out of there, God lets him out, says, okay, come back up to earth. And Satan grabs all those people that are in rebellion to God. They oppose God. In other words, Satan does this. Satan goes and Satan finds all the rebels. Now, interesting to note here, it doesn't say, and it took Satan 30 years to find all the rebels. It took him a thousand years to find all the rebels. I believe Satan's going to find the rebels in a matter of minutes. Isn't it interesting uh, how easy it is sometimes to spot people that are rebellious or people that have a bad attitude? You know how, how, how easy it is for me you know, to spot someone that has a bad attitude or rebellious? We'll have a teen event, and let's just say you know, one of our last teen events, we had 200 kids here in this room, and, and there could be one teenager sitting all the way over here, you know, sitting right here by Dave, you know, and, and they don't know anybody in the whole room, 200 people in the room. And by the end of the night, that one rebel has gone all the way into the back there, and they found that one rebel over there, and the two of them have become best friends in a matter of two hours. <laughs> it's like you got 200 kids in the room, and in a matter of minutes, a rebel can always find a rebel. A person with a bad attitude will always find another person with a bad attitude. Now, let me see, raise a hand. Oh, don't raise your hand. Let me just see you shake your head. Do you ever see that at work? Do the two people at work that have bad attitudes about the job, do they seem to find each other at work? Yeah. Do the two rebels at work, well, my boss doesn't know anything. I know better than my boss. If he had asked me how to do it, I'd teach him how to do it. You know, I hate this stupid job. Do they seem to always find each other at work? They do. Why? It's just, it's like a natural thing. It's like the rebels can find each other. The people with a bad attitude can find each other, you know. Church, listen, if God's placed someone over you in authority, it's not an accident. The boss that you have he may, be, he may be stupid, all right? He may, he may be a moron. But God placed him in authority over you. Why? He's your boss, okay? And if God placed him over an authority in you, maybe he's trying to teach you something. Is that possible? Well, my boss is just cruel and wicked and terrible. Well, then quit the job, okay? Just, that's fine. Just go to another job. You know, you don't have to work anywhere. But, but if, if God puts you there, maybe because it's not an accident that he's your boss, Guys, I don't believe it's an accident that the government that we have over us right now in the United States is over us. I don't, I don't think God is going, oh, I should have been watching the election machines and voter fraud. Ah, oh, oops, I was sleeping that day. No, I gave you what you deserved, and you need that right now. As, as crazy or weird or bizarre as it may seem to you, but God knows, and God puts authority over us, and, and uh, uh, he has it there for a reason. But, but church, whatever authority you have placed over you, you need to submit to that. God puts you under an umbrella of authority for a reason. Now again, guys, 
we talked about this at camp. The understood in the Bible, the understood here is that there's common sense, all right? If your boss tells you to go rob a bank, you don't rob a bank, okay? Common sense. God assumes, God assumes everyone reading this book has common sense, okay? That's where it starts, all right? But not in sin, but, but you, you do that because God's put someone over you and you're supposed to serve. I think about the cleaning crew yesterday. I was here, and, and we have so many, so many, I don't know I'm going to begin to name names, but so many people help and work. Saturdays are one of the busiest days here at this church. Just so many people here making this. This is probably the cleanest church in southeast Wisconsin. Yeah, it is clean. I was at, uh, where were we at last night? I went to a restaurant, and the doors, the front door of the, the restaurant were gross. I mean, they were just, you know, fingerprints everywhere. I'm not going to mention the restaurant, but and I'm just sitting there going, that would, I praise the Lord. That just it would never happen at Dayspring. I mean, there may be a couple fingerprints, but this was like, I literally went through, this was my elbow. I was like, I am not touching this thing. You know, talking about COVID, it was just terrible. But, but uh, the cleaning crew, you know, Roy does a great job. We appreciate him so much. He's got this down to a science. He knows how it should be done. And the people come to volunteer, and Roy says, this is how we're going to do it. Now, guys, there's a million ways to mop the floor at the church. I mean, you could, there's a, there's a million ways to mop the floor or clean a toilet, but Roy says, well, this is the way we're going to do it. This is the way that we're going to figure out to do it. And the cleaning crew just says, yeah, okay, sounds great. You know, maybe I'm used to mopping it this way, but Roy wants it mopped this way. I'm just going to do it. So for that time, for that moment, for that, 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 that time serving together, God's placed someone over you in the cleaning ministry and said, this is how we're going to do it. I know you could do it a million different ways, but I appreciate the attitude of people just saying, well, let's just do it this way. It's fine. We'll mop it this way. We'll, we'll vacuum it this way. We'll do it. And, and if you ever, someone like that, uh, your servant, and you, you balk at God's authority over you, you got a problem. God put the authority over you. Well, what does he know about mopping the floor? I know how to mop a floor. I worked on a submarine for 100 years. Well, that's nice. This isn't a submarine. I don't know, but, 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 but this is just how it, how it works, you know? Maybe God put that over you to test you, to challenge you, to stretch your faith. But, but don't, don't, don't have your attitude that no one's going to tell me what to do. Right, church? My Bible says submit one to another, okay? Our attitude should be like this. I want to grow. I want to learn. God, would you teach me? God, would you work in my heart? God, would you show me? Maybe God's using your boss, your coworker, your spouse, your pastor, the, the guy you serve with at church. Maybe God's using someone in, around you to help you grow. Don't balk at it, rebel against it. So, Father, maybe I don't know everything. Is it possible I don't know everything? Church, is it possible? Raise your hand. Is it possible you don't know everything? Is it possible? Okay, is there a slight chance? Okay, maybe God's still working in your heart. <laughs> you know, I'm done learning. Well, no one's done learning. Back to our study. Look at verse 9. They went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven <laughs> and devoured them. All right, we're done with that. <laughs> so there's a final act of rebellion here. Satan gathers all the rebels. And God does it. Boom. Doop. It's over. It's finished. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not dealing with this. You know what's interesting about that? I, I was thinking about this too. Where are people living at this time? They're living in a perfect environment. Now think. There's no pollution. There's, there's no health crisis. You, you, have, you have good health, right? This is better than the Garden of Eden. All right? There's no doctors. There's no attorneys. Uh, uh, there's no bills to pay. It's just a prosperous time. God is, Jesus is literally ruling and reigning. And people nowadays say, well, if my kids had a better environment, if, if we had a better economy, if, if gas prices weren't what they are, were, if, if the environment was cleaner, if the, you know, the, the pollution was less, then we'd do better. Wait a second. There's a thousand years of living in utopia, and it's perfect. 
And there's still so many people that rebel against God. He numbers, numbers them as the sand of the sea. You had a perfect environment. You had everything given to you. you, you, you there, there was no need for medicine. There was no need for money. Everything you wanted was there. And it's an absolutely, positively sterile, perfect environment. And you're having fun. And you're singing. And you're playing games. You're doing all this stuff together. And, and, and it, it, there's no excuse. But after a thousand years, they still rebel against God. So I just don't bite the thing that, well, if my kids had a better environment. Well, yeah. Or if they just weren't rebellious, right? Maybe that would, that would do it too. Go over to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Look at there in your verse sheet. The heart is deceitful above all things and casually wicked. No, my Bible says it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart is a liar by nature. Do you know that, church? Do you understand that? Your heart lies to you naturally. Well, my little kids, you know, little Susie, little Billy here, they never lie. Parents, you are wickedly deceived right now. <laughs> I don't know what planet you just came from, but my Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. All right? It's just natural. You lied when you were a kid. Your heart deceived you and your kid does it as an adult. You know, and I hear people, I hear parents say to their kids, well, just follow your heart. That is the worst advice you could ever give to your kid. Do not follow your heart. Your heart is desperately wicked. Well, I just feel I just feel this is the best thing to do. Really? You feel that? I, I, I don't know if I trust my feelings, guys. I, 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 the pastor doesn't trust his heart. All right? I, ah, boy. That's why you surround yourself with good counsel. That's why you get other people to bounce ideas off. That's why you come to church and you're all at shoulders with people and you get good counsel, you get good input. I tell you, our Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, we have a Bible study at 10 o'clock here in this room for the adults where they got the kids Sunday school. But we're, we're going through a, a fabulous series, a fabulous series on dealing with anxiety and depression and all the commotion that's going on around us and how do we deal with all this noise in our brain, you know, and, and what do we do with it. it, it that, guys, listen, from 10 to 10.45 every Sunday morning is a free counseling session, all right? And, 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 and you just come here and you sit here and it's counseling 101. Well, I need, you know, my situation is different and I need to, you know, have private counseling. I doubt it. It's God's Word, and whether it's private or whether it's in a group thing, I mean, what we're talking about on Sunday mornings is stunning. You, you just, you need to be part of it. But, but don't listen to your heart. Listen to God's Word. Don't, don't tell people, listen to your heart. Why? Because it's wicked. All right, Revelation 20, verse 10. Go back to Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Whoa. <laughs> A forever existence of torture, pain, anguish, burning that doesn't stop. Verse 11, and I saw the great white throne. That's what we're talking about today. I saw a great white throne. And him that sat upon it, whose face from the earth and heaven fled away, and there was uh, found no place for them. So I didn't quite get the middle part there. The earth and the heaven fled away. I don't know. So how does the earth and the heaven flee, flee away? I don't quite understand that part. Are we living in a spiritual state at that time? I don't quite understand except that he sees something. He sees this, so it's not like it's wispy or it's magical. It's just different. You know, God maybe has done away with the physical earth. Maybe he's done with the physical earth at this time, and he just says, okay, get out of the way. We don't need you right now, okay? Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, so the lowliest person to the greatest king that ever lived, stand before God, and the books, take your pen and underline that word, the books, plural, were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, 
according to their works. Notice the, the plural here and the singular here the, in the word books. And, and everyone, God's not a respecter of persons. All of these, these people have not trusted Christ the Savior while alive are standing before God, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and the hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. Look at this. They were judged, every man, according to their works. Now, why does that take place? That's interesting. Well, what we have here, again, is every lost person. I say lost, meaning every person that has never personally put their trust in what Jesus Christ did as Savior will stand at the great white throne. So, so people that are Christians, if you're a Christian, if you believe that Jesus Christ paid the sin debt for your, 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 your sin and, and you believe that, you're trusting in Him as the payment for your debt, you won't stand here at the great white throne judgment, okay? But everyone from the beginning of time until this part of time who never believed that Jesus Christ trusted as a Savior will be standing before Him at this great white throne judgment. And, and it doesn't matter if they, quote, believed in just God. Well, my airplane was crashing and I said, oh my God, okay, no. People have put their faith in that Jesus Christ is their Savior. And, and, and we have to remember this. It, it's not our works that save us. It's our faith in what we have that Jesus Christ paid the debt. And so it says there, it says all the dead, and this is interesting, all the dead will be judged by their works. Now, pause on that too. There are no atheists at this time. There's no one sitting there in line. God, I don't believe. No, because where are they? They're standing in front of the throne and God's there. So there are no atheists. There are no smirking. There's no giggling, you know. And it says the book and the books are open. Go down to verse 12 again. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books, plural, were open, and another book, singular, was opened. And there's these books that contain our works. The book is the book of life, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. But those of the great white throne will, will not be in it. Why? Because they did not trust Christ as Savior. And now I'm going to, let me deal with this, then we're going to talk about the books. But the lost, it says here, these people are judged according to their works. Now, that's interesting. Why? Why are they being judged according to their works? Because they didn't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior based upon faith. They're there because by faith they did not accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross. God, now get this, God in His mercy says, okay, none of you have accepted by faith that Christ died on the cross to pay your sins. Fine, fine. I will now judge you by your works. Because you didn't do it by faith, fine, I'll judge you by your works. Pause. Everybody pause. Let's look at Ephesians 2.8.9 real quick. I just want you to see this. Let's just, let's just think about this. Ephesians 2.8.9. Uh, can we get that up here on the screen? Here we go. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, verse 9. It's not a work, okay? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These people did not accept that. No, I'm going to work for it. And God says, fine, I'll give you another chance. I'll judge you by your works. All right, we'll do that. And, 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 and it's really what's happening here, though, is what he's judging them, you're going to see this, is really for the punishment, the severity of their suffering. I'm going to judge your works, and this is going to decide the severity of your suffering. There is different levels of suffering in hell 
because they didn't accept it by grace. But let, let's pause because I want to I develop this a little bit more. Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father which is in heaven. A lot of people misuse this verse and they say, well, see, we're going to do good works to get to heaven. No, it's not what he's saying. Verse 21 is saying, look at these people did work and I didn't know them, okay? They're, they're not saying, they, they had all the works, right? John 6, verse 28, then said they unto, unto him, what shall we do that we might do the works of, work the works of God? What are the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto him, I'll tell you what they are. This is the work of God. The work of God is that you believe on him whom he has sent. My job for you is to trust Christ the Savior. That's what my plan for you is. That's my job for you. That's what the work you need to be doing. But these guys here in Matthew are saying, listen, we've done these mighty works. Look down at verse 22 of Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils? And in thy name have we done many wonderful works? We did the works. Verse 23, and then will I profess in them, I never knew you depart from me that work iniquity. <laughs> Isaiah 64, 6, we won't read it for the sake of time, says that everything we've done in God's sight is basically a filthy rag. It's just compared to how holy I am, the best that you've done on your best day, God's still not impressed with because of all the sin that covers that. And, and these people are saying, look, we've done the works. And God says, nope, nope. It still wasn't enough work. It was not perfect. But that's not the qualification for heaven. For by grace you saved through faith. So you did this, okay. But it's not the right thing. Now, I've got to pause on this. And I have to talk about this too. Think about this too. I hear people say this to me all the time. Well, Pastor, I'm going to look at that person, and I can tell if that person's saved or not by their works. Really? You can tell if a person's saved by their works? Oh, yeah. You cannot do that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can judge a person's by their works. Oh, no, Pastor, it says that one verse, you know, one passage. No, it says you can look at the works of a ministry or the minister and you can judge the works of the ministry. When you come to church here at Dayspring, go to any church. Those of you that are looking for a church, you go to church, you look at the church, look at the fruit of the ministry, and say, well, is that a church I want to be part of? Is that a place I want to work? What, what is the works? What is the fruit of that ministry? But nowhere in the Bible does it say you can look at someone and you can judge whether or not they're saved. It doesn't say that. That is only the job of our Heavenly Father. He knows who's saved, okay? But think, Matthew, we just read this passage. These people had the works. They looked good. And God says, you have the works, I get it, but you're not saved because you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior. Guys, I know unsaved people that have better works than saved people, okay? Doesn't mean they're saved. I'll give me an example, Mother Teresa, wonderful woman, done more than I've ever done, <laughs> lived in India, helped those orphans. She did wonderful, great things. She had the works. According to what I've read from her, according to, you know, her diaries and her personal writings, according to that, I'm just saying, nowhere in there does she indicate that she trusted in Christ as Savior. Well, maybe she did. I'm not saying she did. But my point is this. By all, by all accounts, she was trusting in the goodness to be saved. But my, my example here is that, look, at she had all the works, and she never had the faith to save her, okay? Right? See the difference there? So don't ever do that. Don't say, well, you know. They're, you know, that person, they're obviously not saved by their works. Really? Who are you to judge? So are you sinless? Are you done? Are you, 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 don't, you don't sin anymore. Uh, pretty prideful to say that, church, okay? It's pretty prideful to start judging someone based on their works. Who are you? So 
You haven't lusted? Oh, okay. You didn't hate someone? You don't have someone at work you're a little ticked off with? You're, really? Really? Okay. Well, that's pretty impressive. I, I'd like to meet you after service, you know, and I'll go out and I'll, I'll scratch your car and we'll see how your salvation is. <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't say it, okay? Uh, these people had the changed lives in Matthew, and he says, no, you're not saved because you didn't have faith in what Christ did. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, let's move. And the death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute because we talked about the book, singular, and the books, plural, okay? And the issue here uh, of, of the book of life and the Lamb's book of life and what does it look like and, and what does that mean because sometimes it's very confusing. Uh, I want to show you this illustration here just to make sense. And this is just the simplest I can, I can kind of make sense out of it. This is just simple, okay? I'm trying to make sense. Here are all the people that have not trusted in Christ as Savior for all of eternity. They're standing in front of the great white throne. God is there in the throne, okay? So these people are not saved. They, they, didn't, they didn't accept that Jesus died and paid the sin debt. They're standing before God. God's going to judge them. The Bible says that there's books and there's a book, okay? Um, and one of the books it talks about in Galatians being there is the book of the law. So here, here's, how, here's how I just want to explain it the best. What books are present? So God's there, and there's books, plural, there's books, and he's going to look at them. So this unsaved person standing before God, God looks at the book of the law and says, huh, you got to be perfect to go to heaven. This is what the law requires. This is what the law requires, all right? Perfection. Take a look at the next one. And then there's the book of man's works. So somewhere there's a book that lists everything you've ever done and I've ever done. Everything you've done. You know, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is. The darkest, deepest, darkest secret is in there, okay? The best thing you've ever done. And there's a book. There, there, there must be an angel for each of us that writes down everything we're doing because it's a book. Now, for some of you, that might be an easy job. The, the guy can just write down a couple things. And it's simple. For other of you, the ones that I know, uh, there, there, there must be an angel that knows shorthand or really fast at typing because it must be hard to keep up, right? But there's obviously a book of man's works and everything you've ever done is written down. That's just bizarre to me, but that's what it says. All right, take a look here, next one. And then there's the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus Christ, right? The lamb's book of life. Now, who's in this book? What's in that book? Okay, what's in that book? Now think, think, the Lamb's book of life. Well, it's Jesus' book of life, which means what? Every person that has ever trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, okay, their name is in that book. Okay, you trusted Christ as Savior, the name is in that book. Interesting. Take a look at the next slide to understand the last book that's there. And then there is the book of life. So see how this is really confusing when you're reading those passages? you got to kind of look at all these other passages. Take a time. I just don't want to get into it. But, but basically, there's the book of man's works. There's the Lamb's book of life. And then there is the book of life. Now, the book of life, the book of life is before the, and we could read these passages. We, we won't, though, for the sake of time. we got it going. Uh, Revelation 13 and so forth. Before the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the earth, God knows, because God knows everything. He writes down every man's name that will ever be born. 
okay? So there is a book in heaven that before the foundation of the earth, every single name was written in there of who's going to be alive on earth, every single person. And, and their names are there. Now, <laughs> think of time. Nuts. Uh, okay, Revelation 13 and Revelation 17 do make a reference to this point. God knows before the foundation of the earth. Now listen real carefully. Listen real carefully. God knows who will take the mark of the beast. Once someone takes the mark of the beast, they cannot change on that, okay? Those people that take the mark of the beast, we talked about this in, in, in about the tribulation, okay, uh, or the, on their hand. He knows who will take the mark of the beast. Note, note, note. The Bible does not say he causes them to take the mark of the beast. Okay, ready? Listen real carefully. What do I have in my hand? What is this? It's a book. Do you know that I have this book in my hand? Raise your hand if you know I have this book in my hand. Okay, put your hands down. Did you cause me to put this book in my hand? It was a free choice to pick the book up, put it in my hand, but you know it. God knows everything. So, Somehow, from the beginning of time, God writes down every name that's ever going to live. Those names of those people that he knows are going to take the mark of the beast, he already takes them out of the book. He doesn't cause them. He knows. Because God knows. We can't grasp that because you don't even know what you're going to have for lunch today. But God knows that. Don't confuse that with causing it. Okay? And, and, so, and so here's what happens. God has everyone's name written in here. Okay? Everybody's name's written in the book. The moment you die, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, the moment you die, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, God blots your name out of that book. Nope, they didn't do it, okay? The moment you do trust Christ as Savior, for me it was in second grade with my Sunday school teacher, Mr. Bill Sipri, your name is here in the Lamb's Book of Life, okay? Now, let's walk through the scenario real quickly. I want you to kind of see the picture. This person is an unsaved person standing before the great white throne judgment. God looks and says, well, the book of the law, well, perfection is needed. Okay? I'm going to look at your works. Nope. You weren't perfect. I, I'm giving you another chance. Right? Your, your deeds did not equal up to what was required. I'm going to take a look at the Lamb's book of life, and I'm going to look through there just, just to make sure. Right? I mean, just to be sure, I'm going to look through Jesus' book of life. Those people that trusted Christ as Savior, it's Jesus' book of life, and I'm going to look for your name in there. I don't see it. I don't see it. Now, remember, this is the great white throne judgment, okay? Believers are not there. But I'm, I'm going to look. And then I call this God's double check. God's double check. God's double check. All right? And he looks again, and he looks at the book of life. And he looks at the book of life, and everyone's name from the beginning of time was written in there originally. And God blots out those names of people who die without accepting Christ. So it's like, well, we looked at this book. We looked at your works. Well, we looked at Jesus' book of life. Hold on. I, I got one more book. I got one more book. We're going to just one more chance, and I'm going to look through it. And this is everybody who ever lived. Their name is put in here. I only took it out if they died without accepting Christ as Savior. And he'll flip through the book, go through the whole thing, and he'll flip and he'll say, I, I don't see your name. Now, the works that you've done, the, the, the depth of hell, maybe that's the wrong way to say it, the punishment of hell, severity of hell, are determined by what happened there. 
And, and it's, it's like, why? Because, guys, remember this. God wants all people to be saved, right? From the beginning of creation of mankind, get this, God's desire was that everyone goes to heaven. I'm putting you all in here because my desire is you're all going to go here. The only reason your name's not in here is because you rejected me. You took your name out of the book, right? You know, there's that old hymn, you know, there's a new name written down in glory. I don't really like to sing that song because I don't think it's right. Our names were there from the creation of time. I want your name in there. You rejected Christ, it's going out, okay? I, I didn't do it. I, didn't, I had nothing to do with it. You rejected Christ, and your name was blotted out. So, the great white throne judgment, you're, the people are ultimately being judged for the severity of their punishment, you know, uh, at the beam of seat of Christ, you know, Christians are being judged for their, their blessing and how they're going to rewards and how they're going to uh, uh, spend heaven. But uh, take a look here at 2 Peter chapter 3, 9. Let's look at this verse and let's be done today. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but what is the Lord? He is long-suffering to usward. What's the Lord's desire? Look at it. Not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. The word repentance there is the word metanoia, which means a change of mind. God said before the foundation of the earth, it is not my desire, it is not my desire that anyone goes to hell. It's just not my desire. My desire is that all of men, for all of mankind, for all of eternity, my desire is that they change their mind about their sinfulness uh, uh, and trusting in uh, something else besides me and, and, and put their trust in me. My desire is they change their mind. My desire is not they change their works. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, we just saw it? Those people have the works, and God says, no, your works don't save you. It's who you're trusting in. So my desire for the foundation or before anything else happened is that all men would come to Christ. That tell you what, guys, right there, that verse, in a nutshell, puts it with Calvinism in a heartbeat right there, okay? Because God's desire is for all men to go to heaven, not he didn't pick some and choose some. No. People chose on their own to reject Christ. But isn't that just the mercy of God that, that it's not, I mean, he brings it right down to, well, I thought, well, I didn't know, well, I don't remember, well, no, our mouths will be shut. The unsaved person's mouths will be shut and God will say, well, I actually recorded everything, you know. <laughs> I have a book here, so just look for yourself. See for yourself, right? Your name's not there because you, you rejected it. And you know what I think part of that's going to be? I think part of that's going to be because of the, every, every deed ever done. There will also be the time that these people were witness to or had an opportunity to trust Christ, okay? Or a moment of quietness in their mind when they, they looked and they said, well, I... I I wonder if there is a God. I wonder if God cares about me. Could God possibly have saved me? The deepest, darkest part of Africa, you know, God will, re God will bring that to memory. You had that moment. It's a vacuum within you that there's in a God. You had that moment to trust me. You may have not known everything. You didn't have a copy of the Bible. You may have not, you know, understood everything. But somehow in God's mercy, God's giving everybody a chance to trust Christ and enough knowledge to do it, right? And, and, and he'll say, you know what? You, you, don't you remember that one gospel track you got? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, well, that was your moment, okay? You could have accepted it, but you chose not to. You threw it away, and you never trusted me as Savior, okay? That'll be an awful, awful time. History, eternity will start at that moment, so to speak, for, for those people being cast to hell. Uh, so last question. Pastor, do you think we'll see that? I think we will see it.
I think will be. I don't, I, I don't know what heaven's going to look like. There's a throne. There's billions of people out there. We're standing over here to the side or behind or whatever, and we're looking at it. I, you know, I think we're going to see it. And I think we're going to remember. I think we are. I think because we're going to know everything. Oh, there goes my neighbor, the one I didn't witness to. Oh, there goes my coworker, the one I was too cool to invite out to church. I think you're going to see it. I think I'm going to see it. And, and talk about wailing and gnashing of teeth. I think it's going to be us realizing, why didn't I give a gospel to that coworker? Why didn't I give a tract? To that? Why, didn't, why didn't I run down the street saying, get saved? You know what I mean? Why didn't I give more money to missions? Why didn't I help some missionaries do their job? Why? I, I, oh, boy. That's going to be a tough one for us, guys. That's going to be a oh boy. But I know this. The Bible does say that God will wipe away all tears, right? Okay? And that'll be us. We'll wipe away all of our tears. It's not an excuse, not a, not a get-out-of-jail card free for us. The responsibility is there. Church, honestly, and I've been talking about this a lot, have we been on fire for Jesus Christ? Young people, do you hand out tracts? Are you too cool? Are you too busy? Are you too involved with whatever you're doing? We need to go on the back there. You need to get some gospel tracts. You need to share your faith with workers, uh, friends, neighbors, anyone you can, because the end of time is coming. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever... It doesn't say did good works, doesn't say went to church, doesn't say stopped sinning. It says, whosoever believes in him, who? Jesus, the Messiah, should not perish but have everlasting life. Your faith in the fact that Jesus Christ paid your entire sin debt, that alone is what's going to save us. We're saved by that for an eternity. Praise God. Isn't that, whew, there's a lot. I hope that made sense about the books and the book and all that. I hope that, and sometimes that gets confusing, but I wanted it to make sense, all right? Let's uh, be done today and let's have a word of prayer. Father, in heaven, thank you for laying this out for us so clearly. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would put a fire underneath all of us to get serious about the gospel. Sometimes it's so easy to get so petty about stupid things going on. We're just petty. We're just petty, just dumb things. Our, our life is consumed with Facebook and social media. And, and what's going on now? Who cares? Father, there is an eternity coming. There is a real hell. There is a real heaven. <clears throat> and a lot of people going to hell. A lot of people that cross our paths, but we're too busy about living the American dream. We're too busy about making sure we're comfortable to think about it. Father, how, how much do we have to hate someone? How much do we have to hate someone to not share our faith with them? How much do we actually have to hate someone to wish they were going to hell? <laughs> Convict us, Lord. Would you work in our hearts? Thank you for our study. In your name we pray. Amen. Are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.